The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll in the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to turn our attention to a, uh, a new book. Um, let me see if I've uh, got the title here. Oh, it's called The Enablers. Uh, there's more to the title than that. The uh, Enablers, How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption, Endangering Our Democracy. And it's written by uh, my guest this hour, who has uh, been a, uh, he's a former foreign correspondent. He uh, was a uh, chief spokesman for the World Bank uh, in the 1980s. He teaches at Georgetown University, and he's written this book. He joins me down by phone. Frank Vogel is his name. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tom. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Um, let's let's talk about this book, uh, The Enablers. Um, I, I was reading something about the book that says... Uh, um, that that you are optimistic in that um, we could stop this if we wanted to. Why don't we want to? <laughs> um, my book focuses on corruption, corruption internationally, and <clears throat> sorry, and corruption is a enormous uh, threat to democracy. But put it more simply, it's a threat to freedom and to personal freedom and to security. And now today in the world, we have close to 100 governments that are seen by their own citizens as being between somewhat corrupt and extremely corrupt. In many of the extremely corrupt countries, Nigeria, Russia, China, Iran, we have governments that are stealing from their people, and they're using that money for their personal wealth to strengthen their own power, and in many cases, to try to subvert democracy in the rest of the world. And we have the power to really do something about that, and I would argue it's essential that we do. How is the U.S. not on that list, Frank? Uh, there are so many people who believe that corrupt, corruption is running amok in America. I agree with you. I, I think it's a different order of magnitude. I think it takes a different form. Let me explain. There is far too much money in American politics, which means that influence elites and major institutions, in my opinion, 
because they provide so much money to political campaigns, because they finance so many lobbyists, have a level of access to power in this country that the ordinary citizen does not. I find that corrupt. And I subsequently, think, those, those same citizens don't trust the very oh, yes. people that they are supposed to have elected to represent them. You are absolutely right. And if you look at the opinion polls, Pew, Gallup, and so on, you will see that trust in government here in the United States is at the lowest level since this sort of polling was started in the mid-50s. So, and why is trust so low? One of the reasons clearly is the perception of corruption here. But whilst much of the system may be viewed by American citizens as screwed and skewed against them, we do have some checks and balances. We do have a free press. We do have a functioning judiciary. We do have, I believe, an honest FBI and an honest Department of Justice today. These checks and balances don't exist in Russia or in China or in Iran or in so many of the countries where the governments are stealing directly from the people. And when I say stealing, I mean people like Vladimir Putin are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. How did they get that money? They stole it from the taxpayer. We don't see our politicians enriching themselves on anything like the sort of scale that we see in China or in Russia, just as an example. But the idea, Frank, that, that we could stop global corruption um, largely has to do with the American economy and the role we play in the global economy, but it's... But it begs the question, shouldn't we get our own house in order before yes. tackling the rest of the world's problems? We have to do the both at the same time. We don't have an option because the situation is becoming critical. Now, let me just, if I may, make one little point. Sure. I'm not arguing that we can stop corruption. We've seen, corrupt, <laughs> we've seen corruption since, I don't know, uh, the earliest times recorded in history. Frank, uh, I, I, it's safe to but, say that you don't strike me as being naive. So, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> But we can sharply reduce the damage that corruption does and even the levels of corruption. And <clears throat> the two points that you make is if, you know, let's deal with it at home first and then internationally second. They actually collide, and they collide in what I've called the enablers. These are bankers, lawyers, financial intermediaries, big real estate brokers on Wall Street, in the city of London, in Miami and Vancouver and Toronto, in major financial centers, who are managing the funds. They are laundering the funds for these foreign kleptocrats who steal from their own people. And they are moving those funds into our economy. And the reason why, for example, there are so many apartments, condos in Miami or in Vancouver or in Manhattan that are empty and are owned 
by people who we don't even know who the real owners are because the lawyers who represent them are very clever at hiding their identity. Many of the many of those apartments, much of that real estate is owned, in fact, by corrupt foreign government officials and their oligarch friends. And what does that do? It raises home prices for all of the local residents and citizens. That's outrageous. So we can change that. We have the power to control what these Wall Street enablers do. But, and here comes the second part of your question, but we have to understand those Wall Street bankers and real estate firms and others and lawyers are extremely good at ensuring there is deregulation of their industries by their lobbying, by their campaign contributions. So, yes, we have to get a lot of the money out of, pol- out of our politics if we're going to take on these bastions of finance that are operating against the American public interest. It seems to me that that from a grassroots standpoint and a political activism standpoint that there are are two initiatives that need to be launched in this country to even start addressing the enablers. One is, and and you brought it up, Frank, when when you talked about uh, campaign finance, that that's a big problem in the U.S., the other is um, the way lines are drawn and, and this whole notion of, of gerrymandering and, and picking, uh, uh, deciding congressional districts, for example, that, that one party dominates for decades. Um, and, and it seems like if we could do, if we could do those things, um, I don't know how we're going to do with campaign finance reform, but maybe if we could shore up uh, the power of the vote, that maybe we could combat the money in politics. Uh, fundamentally, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, or is that I just wrote, wishful me, thinking on explain, paper? No, right? no, no. Let me explain to you just why I wrote this book. I've spent decades looking at corruption around the world, looking at the humanitarian crises that have resulted because of corrupt regimes, looking at the horrible conflicts and civil wars in many countries that have been exacerbated by corruption. Uh, You know, Afghanistan is a perfect example of that. Um, Ethiopia today what's going on in Kazakhstan today. These are terrible things. Uh, And in each case, we see horribly corrupt governments where the people have been so abused that they've taken to the streets, they've created civil wars and so on. I've spent much of my life looking at those issues. And then I asked myself, wait a second. I also have to look at the country I live in, here, the United States, and how we're helping to increase the corruption around the world horrible thought. And that takes us to what is so valuable here? Well, what's most valuable of all is freedom, personal freedom. And if we don't have the freedom, and I mean every single citizen of this country, have the freedom to vote openly and freely for the person or individuals or the causes they want to espouse, then our democracy is deeply troubled. We see so many forces today in this country that I think we can call corrupt, that are undermining that freedom. 
So defending it is absolutely vital. But as we do so, we have to also understand that, for example, the Russians, Russian government, Russian intelligence services, have been working very hard to try to distort our own election system here in the U.S. So too have the Chinese. The Chinese have done an enormous amount to steal our information technologies to, and by that to increase their political influence in this country uh, and in other countries. And their goals are malign. So we cannot separate the domestic and the foreign. The world is just too small today, too interlinked. And money, tra money moves so fast across national borders that we have to be cognizant of all of these relationships. I know it sounds complicated, but I really believe that the lack of focus on how our financial institutions have been helping foreign corrupt regimes has really been a great, great mistake. And I wrote this book to say, hey, we can change this. We need to change this. It's not something that is beyond the power of our government if our government can get over the money in politics and do what is right. Frank, who needs to read this book for change to begin? My, this is maybe ambitious, but I really believe everybody does because I believe, <laughs> Frank, I believe so passionately. Every writer I've ever asked that question. No, but, but <laughs> I got a really good answer. I believe so passionately that if you, your listeners, believe in freedom, personal freedom, they must address their congressmen, their re legal representatives. They must address those in power and say, stop. You have to do something about this problem of corruption because it is eating away at the fabric of our democracy here at home today. There are increasing numbers of members of Congress, fortunately, because there is good news, there is an increasing number of members of Congress who are now embracing anti-corruption measures, but they need public support. They need to hear from their constituents that they, what they are trying to do has public support. Um, it's no good just having nice rhetoric from President Biden, and he's saying all the right things, fortunately, and I congratulate him for that. But that's just rhetoric. We need the legislation. We need the regulation. We need the enforcement. And public pressure is so essential to secure that. And you only get public pressure when you have an informed public. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And um, Frank, I have to uh, I have to take a short break here, but I want to talk some more about this issue of corruption and about the way you address it in your book, The um, Enablers. Can you stick around for a few minutes? It's a great pleasure. I'd love to do that. Thank oh, you. Okay, my guest is Frank Vogel. The name of the book is uh, again The Enablers: How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption, Endangering Our Democracy. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. Uh, in Flint, they are uh, WFOV, Our Voices Radio, ninety-two point one LPFM, and. Uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Lots more right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom general stuff listen I have a legal question what is it mom I just got a call from the water company apparently your father has not been paying the bill I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now can you believe it actually I can't so listen We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a uh, new book called The Enablers, How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption, Endangering Our Democracy. And the author of that book, Frank Vogel, joins me by phone. Frank, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, it's a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about, um, I was I was asking who you hope would read this book, and... and uh, you you gave my favorite answer, everybody, <laughs> and 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 I, I actually like that answer because during the last segment you talked about one of the things that the U.S. had going for it that that although it is uh, certainly um, plagued with corruption in a lot of different parts of of the way this country works that we have some things going for us, and one of those things was a free press. But I wonder if a free press has the faith of people. We talked about distrust in elected officials, but um, I wonder how much people trust the free press these days. <laughs> you know, it, it's a wonderful question, and it, it's and I must say, in the United States, it's a little bit of a luxury question. And let me explain to you just why. On the 10th of December, just a few weeks ago, the Nobel Prize Committee in Oslo awarded the Nobel Prize to two incredible journalists, one from the Philippines, one from Russia. Uh, They uh, spoke about freedom. They spoke about the imprisonment of journalists in their countries, the harassment of journalists in their countries. The, uh, the world is full today of governments that are putting journalists in prison. More journalists are in prison today, according for the Center for uh, Press Freedom, than ever before more in China than in any other country, than Russia, than Egypt, than Turkey, uh, and so on. And uh, when you hear the voices of those Nobel Prize winners, and they were very, very moving, um, then you start to ask yourself some very fundamental questions about trusting the press here at home. We have a wide variety of voices here. We have a social media that often is distorting, but sometimes it's also informing. We have a situation where we can be proud of the dynamic and open investigative journalists here. I want to just make one very small point, if I may, and give you a quote from Maria Ressa who won the Nobel Prize a few weeks ago and comes from the Philippines. And she said, without facts, you cannot have truth. Without truth, you cannot have trust. Without trust, we have no shared reality, no democracy, and it becomes impossible to deal with our world's existential problems, climate, coronavirus, the battle for truth. She is so right. Truth uh, and trust are core 
to what we cherish as press freedom in this country. And fortunately, there are many, many people who are doing the best journalism out there. I'm sure you're one of them. And the public needs to be able to discern who they can trust in the press and who they can't. But we have a level of press freedom that so many others around the world would long to have. You know, I've jokingly blamed this on niche marketing, but we've ended up with um, everybody has their own news channel, it seems like, these days. Um, Whatever side of the aisle you're on or whatever the side of an issue you're on, there is a news outlet that caters to you. And that's different than the way I remember a free press when I was young. And and there were people like uh, Huntley and Brinkley and, and Walter Cronkite and, and before that, uh, Walter Winchell and, and uh, uh, oh, uh, Morrow and, and others. And it just seems like um, today there's there's this split down the middle in the US and and we've seen it really codify over the 2020 uh, presidential election where half the people in this country feel like it was a fair election and half the people in this country think it was somehow rigged and you cannot seem to get people to shift from their positions how do we how do we start addressing the enablers when we're enabling? Well, yes, there's an enormous amount of noise in the system today. <laughs> uh, and um, That's putting it but, politely, Frank. But, 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 uh, look how many people are talking about this problem as a problem. Uh, yeah. We have a raging debate in this country right now about trusting the facts, about truth, about different people's idea of what the truth is. Uh, And you have to hope that this raging debate will lead to something positive. I have to agree with you that we could be very negative about this. We could be very depressed about this. And I certainly am deeply concerned about it. But I would also argue we cannot allow this distortion, this noise, to distract us from some very fundamental issues. And when our democracy is at risk, then we have to do everything we can, I believe, to preserve its integrity to fortify its integrity. And that brings us back to corruption. Um, And by the way, you know, I just have to slip this in. You asked me who should read this book. I wrote this book in a rather perhaps strange way. I wrote the book itself is only about 140 pages, admittedly densely printed, which is the straight narrative, tells the story. But then I included over 40 pages of detailed notes to follow for anybody who wanted to really delve into the nitty-gritty, really get more and more of the backstory. And the way of doing this was, again, let the light shine through. 
Let there be clarity about what the issues are and what is at stake. Let's not clutter it up with all of the nitty-gritty and all of the details. So I wrote the book this way, and I hope that people will look at their democracy today in America from the same perspective. Let's put high up what's really important and focus on that and not get distracted by all of the stupidity that we see on so much of social media and all the lies that we see uh, spread about by irresponsible people. Yeah, I'm I, I'm troubled. I, I don't know that I want to go so far as to say uh, that I'm depressed or that I've given up, but this this idea that when someone tries to share facts, someone who has a different point of view or wants to uh, stand by a different point of view just simply ignores the the uh, truth of it by calling it fake news or alternative facts and you know once once you take away um, the the trust in the information um, how do we how do we get back on the right path frank i think we get back on the right path by going beyond a lot of this rhetoric to look at what are some of the causes there are many many americans who feel rightly or wrongly aggrieved they feel they've been let down by their government they believe they've been ignored by their government uh, they feel that the spoils of this country have gone to people unlike themselves or other than themselves. And the grievances have been uh, manipulated, in my opinion, by some political leaders in this country promoting a populist cause. If we really want those so many of those people who feel aggrieved to start to look more openly at the virtues of our democracy and not only its failings, to look more openly for truth and not just for sound bites that basically play to their prejudices, then there is an essential need to address their grievances. And that has to do a lot with very basic things, uh, employment opportunity, real income increases, uh, dealing with a lot of the social problems that have led to these people feeling aggrieved. It's really tough, but I think that's the only course. And I'm hopeful that enough politicians in this country will come to the realization that it's Delivering on their premises to improve people's lives is really what matters rather than silly rhetoric. You know, there are a lot of people who would like to uh, blame Donald Trump for uh, this, this idea of, of fake news and lack of trust in the government, drain the swamp, all of the, the rhetoric and, and noises, as you call it, distortion. Um, but I remember Barack Obama giving a speech, and I can't remember if it was uh, just before or just after Donald Trump got elected president. And 
in his speech, he said he didn't think Trump was the cause of the problem, but one of the results of the problem, that the problem was already going on. And I, I, I thought that was I, I thought that was very interesting, and it makes me wonder, Frank, based on um, on your book and and the research that went into your book, and and you cited a couple of uh, journalists from around the world who recently won Pulitzer Prize, no uh, Nobel prizes, yeah, or Nobel prizes. Thank you. Um, I, I it it makes me wonder if in your research if you have found. Um, a cause that's that's beginning. Who who is well fighting for this, and and where are the leaders uh, going to come from for a movement back to truth and trust and and all of those things? Well, my book, of course, is narrower than, than all of this because it deals only with corruption and even the financial side of corruption. But I will give you, within that context, if I may, uh, an example. Uh, and taking this back historically b- before Trump, before Obama, actually. Uh, the subprime crisis of 2008-2009, which led to the Great Recession, which led to the greatest economic set of problems that the U.S. had seen since the Great Depression. How did that start? Well, it was unbelievable risk-taking in a deregulated financial environment by major banks and other non-bank financial institutions, mortgage companies, and so on. And it produced enormous unemployment and enormous hardship for tens of millions of Americans. What was the reaction? Well, first of all, not a single one of those leaders of those banks that were responsible was prosecuted. Not one of them went to prison. Very few of them even lost their jobs. New laws were enacted to tighten up on the financial system, but gradually over the years, we've seen a lot of those regulations whittled back And what happens? Increasing risk-taking. Why? It's, again, money in politics, the influence of the major financial institutions. They almost wrecked the world economy 10 years ago. They have contributed enormously, not all of them, by no means all of them, but many of them, to the type of global corruption that worries me terribly when I look at democracy and security. And they have been able to influence politicians on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, to leave them to continue to take the vast risks and do the things that I argue are against, in this book, are against the public interest. I haven't got an answer for you for the whole political agenda, for the whole (laughs) political mess that this country may be in today. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Frank. There are practical things we can do in certain areas. And if we ignore money in politics, then I think uh, we'll never get to the right place. Yeah, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Frank. But if we if we take it back to money, now that we have those Supreme Court rulings with regard to um, 
Citizens United and and others that you know call money speech and corporations are people and and all of those interpretations how do we how do we attack a a system that is fueled by money about money well first of all we have to shine an even brighter spotlight on the damage that all this money does and i don't think we do i think frankly i think frankly quite a lot of the media attention on this uh is is sort of relegated to page 84 of the sunday newspaper uh written by some academic scholar in a rather nerdy sort of way you don't get changed that way at all um recently uh a whole group of journalists published what came to be known as the Pandora Papers that provided lots and lots of individual stories about wealthy individuals in this country and abroad who were evading taxes, who were stealing money, who were doing corrupt actions. Many of those stories appeared on the front pages of papers, and they clearly pointed to this clear message about money and politics and why we need to tighten up on enforcement in this area. And yet, for all the news coverage those articles got, there were very, very few opinion articles on the op-ed pages. There were very few discussions on cable news TV programs. Why? Because we have a media, unfortunately, where media leaders don't want to talk about money. They either feel uncomfortable about it or they just don't know. Uh, And so time and time again, this central issue of money in politics is not getting the attention it needs. The public needs to truly be informed, not just about who's putting the money into campaigns, but the malicious impact that so much of that money has. And that's an area where I really hope our journalism can improve. But that's but that has built into it a, a bit of a challenge as well, Frank, because so much of the media is controlled now by corporate interests. Yeah, but that's always been the case. It, right? it seems it seems more so now, but may, you know maybe maybe oh, I'm just no. remembering I mean, don't it differently. Don't you remember Randolph Hearst? Well, of course. I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm originally British. The British newspapers were all owned by tycoons who had a political agenda. Uh, but fortunately, there was people like Edward R. Murrow, and there are people like those who just won the Nobel Prize who are willing to speak truth to power who even though the media organizations may have strong political views, their voices still were able to get through to a much broader public. And in that respect, I remain hopeful. Frank, how can you, how can I, how can others put more of a spotlight on those people that are uh, telling the truth with no personal agenda? Well, it's for each individual to determine that, right? The truth, I wish the truth was just facts, as this Nobel Prize winner has said. Uh, But there is a lot of subjectivity in this. Uh, 
What I really hope is that people of courage are willing to stand up, however unpopular it may be at the moment when they do so, and speak truth to power. I don't know how in a major way we're going to change things, but I have a huge belief in individual in, in, in leadership. You know, I was a reporter uh, here in the United States uh, during Watergate. And my editor back in London, because I worked for the Times of London at the time, I was a foreign correspondent, he said, oh, Richard Nixon, is he's innocent until found guilty. You're being far too harsh on him in your reporting. Um, but there were great <laughs> American journalists who nevertheless uncovered the truth and changed history. Um, I went in the 1980s as a reporter for a time to South Africa. It was unbelievable. We couldn't believe that within a decade, apartheid would have collapsed. Nelson Mandela would be leading a new, open, democratic South Africa. But people like Mandela, Desmond Tutu, who just died last week yeah. uh, in South Africa, and others like them have shone a bright light on the need for freedom and democracy in the world. And their voices have carried and they have been heard. And you, I think, have to believe in that kind of leadership. Leadership from courageous journalists, leadership from honest politicians. And I don't subscribe to the school that says all politicians are dishonest. In that respect, you might call me naive, but I remain, <laughs> in that respect, also hopeful. Frank, I would never call you naive. What's next for Frank? Well, I get an enormous enjoyment out of teaching. Uh, I teach graduate students here at Georgetown University about corruption, about the interlinkages in our world and democracy, so that's always there. Then I lead an anti-corruption organization. Uh, it is called the, uh, the Partnership for Transparency Fund. We support civil society organizations in many, many poor countries to ensure that the poor are not cheated by their corrupt leaders. And I'll give you just one example. We are very active when it comes to COVID. We are trying to help civil society groups in Argentina, in Uganda, in Zambia, to ensure that the poor receive vaccines, that they don't have to pay bribes to get those vaccines, that the delivery of the vaccines is honest, that they are not being, uh, believe it or not, subjected to counterfeit vaccines. Uh, civil society groups of great courage and ability in many, many countries, poor countries, are doing that, and the organization I work with is trying to help them. Frank, we're just about out of time. I get, my guest is uh, Frank Vogel, author of The Enablers, um, and, and we have just under 30 seconds, and, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, I do. Uh, it's very simple. It's Frank Vogel, that's V-O-G-L, no E, frankvogel.com. Uh, 
www.frankvogel.com, and they can read all about the book and also about the anti-corruption work that I do. Well, thank you, Frank, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. All the best. I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Republican vice president. He ran for the presidency in 1960 and looks to be a leading contender for 1968. Hi. <laughs> you have been publicly feuding with Governor Rockefeller. Of course. Would it be correct to say that you believe he has a big mouth? Uh, not as wide, I would say, as would appear at some times in the American press. <laughs> uh, let's go now to Mr. St. Ledger. Continuing with Governor Rockefeller, should he be chosen to run for president in 1968, when will you start campaigning for him? Within 48 hours after his defeat. <laughs> Mr. Van Bore. Sir, if we may make the observation, you seem to be interested in elections of all varieties. Yes, that's correct. Would you care to speculate on who you think will win the Miss Rheingold contest next year? Uh, Senator Goldwater has a... Uh a substantial lead at this point. (laughs) Mr. Swayze. When you were vice president, you were on speaking terms with many international leaders. Now, is your relationship with them still today as it's been in the past? Just what it's been in the past. Uh, Then have you heard from Mr. Khrushchev lately? I talked to him this morning on the telephone. Oh, really? Uh, Where was he calling from? Uh, He had called me from Arizona. (laughs) If Khrushchev suddenly defected from Russia to the United States, what would you advise we do? Where you have a man who is vigorous, who is articulate, who has been effective, and who is honest, and who has done a good job, you send him back. Department announces that Miss Christine Keeler and Miss Mandy Rice Davies have each applied for entrance into the United States. Uh, of course, they haven't been submitted to us on an official basis. Well, I understand that. What I'd like to know is this Do you think Keeler and Davies should be admitted into this country? Well, I think it would be very bad for the country for us to go on a big spending spree at this time. <laughs> Sir, may we reminisce about your days in Washington? Of course. I was wondering, is it true that the men's room attendant at the Capitol building used to get only $25 a week salary? But I had, of course, the opportunity to talk to the president, to the secretary of state, to our various ministers in defense, and the other Uh, Sir, uh, you spend a lot of time traveling, of course. I believe you just recently returned from England. Uh, very recently. And according to the British press, on your recent tour of England, Sir Anthony Eden is quoted as having described you as a perfect ass. Have you any comment? 
that that's typical British understatement. I'd like to thank you for allowing us this opportunity to speak with you today. You've been most cooperative. Is there anything of yours that we could keep as a memento of this visit? Take California. personal nature that deals with your political image. I understand. It has been said by your critics, and I mean that incidentally to exclude us, but it has been said that you sometimes speak and act impulsively uh, without thinking. But I do think. Again, we didn't say that, sir, and many thanks for being with us. But I do think. I do think. There's no question in our minds. It was only hearsay at this. Thank you very much. I would just add this one point. Well, I'm sorry. I'm afraid that's all the time we have right now. But I do think. 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 This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Message from my baby Telling me 
Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 